I would always encourage someone to get multiple opinions. The same as when we go to a doctor and they give us a, a diagnosis, we're going to go and hopefully find one or two other diagnoses to see, or opinions at least. I would encourage folks to do the same on the technical side and not just take the first advice that we hear and run with it. Get some additional advice. Microphone check, one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. I'm your host, Cherie Prince, and we are joined by Brian Childress, technical advisor and fractional CTO. Hey, Brian. Hey, Sherry. It's good to see you. You as well. Okay, so I have a confession to make. You are the first fractional CTO that we've had on the podcast. So welcome, welcome. I'm honored. It's good to be here. Yes, and for those who are not familiar with the term, tell us exactly what that is and what you do. Yeah, so fractional CTO is an interesting concept. It's fairly new to the technical industry, but basically what I do is I bring years and years of experience across a number of different industries to companies that may need a kind of someone in a CTO or a technical leadership role, but they may not have either the money to be able to afford somebody in that full-time role. And more often they don't actually need someone in that full-time role. They don't actually have the work to support someone. Uh, so bringing in a technical advisor or a fractional CTO like myself just enables those companies to have access to the same level of expertise that some of the bigger companies do, but for a fraction of the cost. Just to determine whether or not they need someone full-time or part-time, what should the owners consider when they're looking at a fractional CTO? A lot of the things that they may be considering are around the size of the team, some of their technical aspirations, the things that they're doing. A lot of times early stage startups are maybe think that they're looking for a, a CTO where really they're looking for just a really good kind of senior level software developer. And so as a CTO, I have much more of a broader perspective and a bit longer term perspective on the technology strategy for a startup or a small and medium business. So I think a lot of it comes down to where are they looking to go and what is it that if they're looking to build, say, custom software internally, what are some of the things that they're considering? What are some of the challenges that they may need someone with deep technical expertise to help guide them through uh, that journey. How has AI shaped what you do or does it matter at all? I think if anything, really, it's supercharged a lot of the work that I do. So things that used to take me 30 minutes or an hour to do, I can now get a decent response from some of the AI tools out there in 10 to 30 seconds. And so that's really kind of 10xing or 100xing my productivity in some ways. And so I think those tools are just really powerful. It's been interesting. The results from a lot of the AI tools are really good, but they're not perfect. And I think that's where you still have to have some level of experience and expertise to pick out where that those misses are in the tools. But by and large, it's been a really beneficial thing to have. And I think you said it best. It's just a tool. It does not actually replace a person or position. 
it's something that kind of enhances what you do, not to replace it. Is that your thought? 100%. Yeah. I have no concerns that AI or the robots are going to take my job. Now, I do think that my job will continue to evolve just as it has over the past 15 years in many ways. But yeah, I think I just see it as a tool and it's just another tool in my toolbox. You just by definition are a technical person. What are some of the challenges that non-technical founders face that might require your services? That's a fantastic question. And I think a lot of the times when I'm working with non-technical founders or non-technical stakeholders, the challenges that they face is they don't know what they don't know. And for many (laughs) folks that aren't in technology that don't have a deep expertise in it, it's technology can almost feel like a magical thing. It's just like a black box where we put in something and something comes out. And so it's very hard to wrap our hands around and not deep understanding, I think leads to a bit of trepidation and fear from non-technical founders and non-technical stakeholders. And so unfortunately, I think a lot of those folks end up relinquishing control to the people that are technical or at least sound technical. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that kind of puts them in a bad position, which for me keeps me pretty busy because I get to unwind a lot of those decisions that were made that may have not been the best thing for that particular business or founder. And see that, okay, you're going in the direction that I was headed in because I would say that it's fair that we are living in a post-COVID world for the most part. And prior to 2020, you had more people that were actually on site working in a business. Now you have a lot of people that are working remotely. What are some of the risks that you think founders face and stakeholders face with hiring someone like you who may not be there every day? It's, I think a lot of the concerns that we hear around just not having someone that we can see physically next to us and see what they're doing and what they're working on. And it gives us a little bit of concern about what is this person actually producing? Are they producing at their highest level or are they goofing off and doing something else or potentially even working for someone else on another project? We've heard a lot of the Reddit stories around being overemployed and people having multiple jobs. And I think a lot of that for many of us has just proved how inefficient being in the office was. And it just, it was almost more work to pretend like you were working and you were busy than actually what you were producing. And so now I think this post COVID world that you mentioned, it's our opportunity to really focus on how do we produce outcomes and what is the output? And if I'm able to create the same amount of output or the same value for the business and do it in a fraction of the time, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's in my role in particular, that's a lot of what I do is I'm not committing to a certain number of hours with my clients, but I will commit to help them to deliver some of those outcomes that they're looking for. And for many, that's more than enough. Let's talk about that. If we're looking at quality instead of quantity, what sort of metrics do you use to help founders measure whether or not you're effective? I think some of the things that I either measure myself on or some of the initiatives that I drive, really it's a focus on what is the impact to the business. And I think this is a bit of an interesting paradigm, especially for somebody who comes from technology. A lot of times we use technology as this 
again, this magical thing. And we, we focus so much on the technology that it actually is, has a negative impact on the business. So I always try and look for what is the thing that we're trying to do for the business? Are we trying to increase revenue or customer satisfaction or the speed which a customer can do a particular thing? Those are the metrics that I'm interested in. And then from there, I'll figure out what technology looks like in order to solve for that particular problem. And those are the areas that I really like to focus on and measure, not necessarily how many engineers did we have, how many lines of code were written. That's not a valuable thing. But unfortunately, sometimes those are the metrics that are used. So Brian, how did you arrive at loving technology and doing this for a living? Is it something you always wanted to do? I was not the kid that was programming on my family's computer at eight years old. It, I just, I wasn't. Even in undergraduate, my roommate was a computer science major and he, poor guy, he had to help me un mess up my computer almost every other week. It was bad. But I got into technology when I went back to school and in graduate school, and I really gravitated to it because it allows me to, you know, it's very intellectually stimulating. It really touched on the parts of my brain that I really needed. There's, I have some creativity and the way that I build, the way that I solve problems. There's an engineering aspect to it too, and bringing all that together. Plus, it's a very fast moving, ever evolving industry. So in order for me to stay top of my game, I'm always having to learn and rebuild my tool set. A lot of things stay the same, but a lot of things change. And that's just very exciting for me. I'm always getting to learn and play with new and interesting things. And I think all of those things combined had brought me into technology and have kept me here for so many years. You mentioned problem solving. What are some of the mistakes that you see a lot of founders make when they're building a SaaS company? The biggest mistake I see a lot of folks make is they don't validate the idea before they start making the software. And software development is just a very expensive thing. It's expensive in money and in time. And a lot of founders will jump right into building the thing. And somebody says, I have a fantastic idea for an app and goes and hires somebody and they just are off to the races. And they get to the end and no one's interested. There's no customers that are actually interested and willing to pay for the thing that they just spent all that time and money to build. And so really, a lot of times I try and guide founders through a validation process where we can use increasing levels of tools and complexity and technology. But custom software development, I always put at the very end of that validation process. Okay. What does it look like to validate an idea for a SaaS product? I think the very first step is to actually go out and talk to people, which is the hardest thing for a lot of us to do, but to really go out and try and identify that customer that you think you're trying to solve the problem for. Really talk to them, really understand the problem and hear it from multiple people people that you've never met, right? Get away from your family and your friends and your colleagues and really go out there and talk to the people and understand what are the challenges that they have? Because oftentimes the way that we understand the problem 
is very different from the way that they are actually experiencing the problem. It may be completely different for them. And if it's, if we're not solving the problem for that particular customer, it's likely they're not going to buy anything from us. Wow. And so I guess I have not looked at it from that angle, but you are exactly right. What other challenges have you seen just over your course of working with different companies? I think a lot of companies, a lot of founders will relinquish too much control. And so again, if, especially for folks that don't have a deep technical background and they say, I want to hire this company or this freelancer to build my thing, right? Ultimately build my dream, build my business that I'm going to build my life around, they're going to hand off a lot of control. And so if it's not something that they necessarily understand, they're going to say, okay, here, development agency or here, freelancer, please build this thing. I completely trust you. And so they're handing over the intellectual property, the code base, the hosting, all of the accounts, everything that will ultimately drive this business. They hand over everything. And hopefully things go well, but far too often they don't go well. And so that person can completely disappear with all of that information, all of that knowledge, and you're left with nothing. And you've spent, again, all that time and money. Wow. Okay. And that's definitely something to consider. What are some misconceptions about working with a fractional CTO? Because I know some people may think that you have to be this huge company like Microsoft or Apple. And is that the case that you have to be a big company to work with someone like you? No, absolutely not. I work with startups, small and medium businesses. So most of the time it's a company is pre-seed all the way up until a couple hundred million dollars. I've got clients in that, in that full spectrum. Some fractional CTOs focus on specific industries like healthcare or finance. I tend to focus on projects that are post MVP or minimal viable product or proof of concept. So they have a software project out in the market. Um, but no, any company that's looking for technical advice, technical expertise to come in, it can vary the amount of time, the level of engagement that I have with particular companies and on particular projects. So for a custom software solution, what's the, long, the longest period of time <clears throat> that you've ever worked with someone? Oh, I don't know, three or four years. I've definitely been on projects that have lasted quite a long time interesting software is never really done and i think maybe back to your earlier question what are some of the misconceptions software is never done right we're never finished a phase might be finished we might get it to a certain point and then we can see how things go but ultimately there still is this care and feeding that software needs in order to continue to support a business so it's an ever evolving thing. Just the level of engagement may vary over that period of time. If you had one piece of advice for an entrepreneur who was looking to work with a fractional CTO, what would that advice be? If you're trying to find someone, I would always encourage someone to get multiple opinions, right? The same as when we go to a doctor and they give us uh, a diagnosis, we're going to go and hopefully find one or two other diagnoses to see, or opinions at least. I would encourage folks to do the same on the technical side and not just 
take the first advice that we hear and run with it, get some additional advice. And it's worth, I think some fractional CTOs will offer free consultations. Some it's worth paying even a few hundred dollars, sometimes five, $600 for an hour consultation can save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in a software development project that may not be well aligned to your business goals. There is something special that you have for the audience. Tell us about it. Yeah. So I love to work with folks. My goal is to always try and help prevent founders and different companies from making expensive mistakes. And so I offer a free technical consultation, absolutely no obligation. I just want to make sure that they're getting another opinion, another set of advice. And so I offer a free 30 minute tech consultation. It's an easy, it's a Calendly link. We find a time that works for both of us and we hop on and I'll answer any question you have. I'll give you my honest feedback about anything that you have going on. Brian, where can we find you on social media? I'm most active on LinkedIn. So I'm posting on there, trying for at least once or twice a day. A lot of the things that I post on there are advice or lessons learned from a very recent engagement. I'm on a lot of projects across a lot of different industries. I have the opportunity to learn a lot and I like to share that out on LinkedIn. So I encourage folks to connect with me there, send me a DM and I'm happy to chat there as well. Okay. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's been a blast. And until next time, play big faster. Thanks for listening to this episode and remember to play big faster. 